Ken Griffin, founder and CEO of Citadel, has dropped another almost $27 million to fight against Pritzker's proposed graduated tax. And the pandemic pushes the real estate boom across the lake as southwest Michigan and northwest Indiana see a major increase in sales over last year's numbers. Residential real estate reporter Dennis Rodkin joins the podcast today with more. Especially if you're uh, on the south part of the city, Hyde Park, that sort of thing, down into the South Cook County suburbs, moving over to Michigan City, Beverly Shores, or in Michigan, New Buffalo, Union Pier, actually becomes quite easy if you don't have to drive in every day. I'm Amy Guth, and this is Crane's Daily Gist. It's Monday, October 5th. When it comes to a professional like your doctor or lawyer, you want someone who knows you well. Wintrust believes you should have the same relationship with your banker, someone you can call directly and know they'll understand your concerns. Thousands of local business owners called their Wintrust banker when they needed Paycheck Protection Program loans. They called, Wintrust answered, and helped more than 11,000 local businesses secure funding. Learn more at Wintrust.com slash Daily Gist. Member FDIC. I'm joined now by Crane's residential real estate reporter, Dennis Rodkin, here to talk about a story. Uh, we, you kind of hinted at this as, as one that was coming the last time I spoke with you, and that is how the pandemic has pushed real estate numbers across the lake into southwest Michigan and northwest Indiana, where these areas are seeing an uptick in sales. Tell me about this. I mean, you can think of it as one continuous area, that that crescent, southwest Michigan, northwest Indiana. I referred to them separately in the story because the numbers are recorded separately because they're in different states. But in southwest Michigan, home sales this summer were up in the 80% range from summer of 2019. In northwest Indiana, they're up about 48% from 2019. And as you and I have discussed, this is something that's been happening in Barrington, in Lake Forest. All sorts of markets are being lifted by the pandemic because, in large part, people are taking advantage of these super low interest rates to trade up to space that works better for their pandemic life. I need more space. I may need more outdoor space. And some of what we're finding in the Northwest Indiana, Southwest Michigan area is I always wanted to live over there. We always thought, wouldn't it be great if we could just live over here where it's quieter, there are big trees, there are these beautiful beaches, but we can't because we have to commute to the loop. Our kids are in schools, our kids are in soccer, that sort of thing. And so what a lot of these families are finding, and I'm hearing, is that you know their kids weren't in school. So they sort of lost some of their connection to their friends, but also became more mobile. They're not, they weren't going to sports this year. I don't have to commute downtown anymore. Why don't we give it a shot? They're also in Indiana and Michigan were fewer shutdowns. So we didn't do without our lakefront over the course of the spring and summer, the restaurants weren't nailed down quite as much. And so it felt a little more free. So it's sort of like, you know, I always sort of wanted to move over there and this gave me the, op- or gave us, I should say the opportunity to go ahead and give it a try. So when we're looking at numbers, as you note in the story, in Southwest Michigan, home sales were up 85% year over year in both July and August. 
In Northwest Indiana, sales were up about 48% in May through September. Those are two very different stories than, than what we had kind of been talking about more locally here around the city and immediate suburbs. They are, although remember we looked at some towns where home sales have doubled, and in many cases they're the Barringtons, the Lake Forest, the West, well, Westchester was the kind of place where sales are up in, in large part because interest rates are making it possible for me to trade. But I mean, what these places have in common, take away Westchester from what I just said, what these places have in common is, you know, big yards, a lot of outdoor space, farther from the center. Um, and again, I couldn't get to the center every day uh, from these places when I, if I had to commute downtown every day, but now I don't have to. It's kind of like moving to Lake Forest or moving to Barrington, especially if you're uh, on the south part of the city, Hyde Park, that sort of thing, down into the South Coast County suburbs. Moving over to Michigan City, Beverly Shores, or in Michigan, New Buffalo, Union Pier, actually becomes quite easy if you don't have to drive in every day. I primarily think of those two areas as a place where a lot of people have second homes. So what about affordability and cost of living? What kind of difference are we looking at if you were to move from, say, a near suburb over to one of those two areas? Well, one of the big savings is on property taxes. Uh, property taxes, especially so I just said, if you live in like the South Cook County suburbs, where our South Cook County suburbs is where property taxes are the toughest, the highest in the Chicago region. Then you get over to Michigan and Indiana and they're capped at a very low rate. So people save, literally save thousands of dollars in property taxes by moving. Housing is also less expensive. Now, we're not talking about specifically like buying a place right on the water. Uh, in most of those beach towns, you know, if you buy right on the water versus buying across the street from the water, there's a big price difference. And uh, you can pay North Shore prices in uh, Union Pier and Lakeside and places like that. But it's also possible just a little bit off the lakefront, just a few blocks off the lakefront to pay far less. So, you know, you save a lot of money. And the other thing is interest rates are so low right now that some people say, I'll just, I can hold on to the home I have, get this other place now for the, let's say, year of the pandemic, because I don't know when we're going back to school and work in school and work buildings, how long we'll be doing those things at home. So we'll make this work for now. And then when and if things change back to a normal life, maybe we've made this second home country our first home and we get rid of the other one. Maybe we can afford to have both a first and a second home, or maybe we have to let go of that place in the second home area and we move back to Chicago. And I've heard all three versions of that. That was exactly what I was going to ask you next about how that is that mostly people grabbing a second home is that people who already have a second home saying, I'm just going to sell what I have in the city and stay over here or how, how that was kind of breaking down. I think that's interesting. Probably another one of those things that we'll have to wait and see how it kind of all plays yeah. out at the end of the year. Um, what what else will you be watching as you're seeing these numbers go up um, in addition to looking for, you know, next month's data, things like that? What else will you be interested to see about the real estate uptick in these two areas? Well, the other thing would be a, a real estate uptake, uptick in a third area, southeast Wisconsin, Walworth County, Wisconsin, around Lake Geneva. The numbers I got when reporting this story showed that while sales were way up in, those, in, the, in Indiana and Michigan, they were relatively flat with 2019 in the Walworth County, Lake Geneva area. And I'm waiting to see... Um, but, but all the real estate agents said, you know, there's a huge amount of 
looking for homes. There is a lot of pressure on the sort of secondary locations off Lake Geneva, that kind of thing. So we may see sometime soon the sales figures showing the same sort of thing happening um, in southeast Wisconsin. It, it sounds from foot traffic as if it is happening, but we don't yet have sales figures that say, yeah, people have actually made this switch. So that would be one thing I'd be watching. The other is how long does this continue in Northwest Indiana and Southwest Michigan? Does this end when the beautiful summer weather ends and people stop looking for that sort of an alternative? Or does it roll right through the winter into next year and they have just a hot, booming real estate market for months on end? Yeah, lake effect snow is a real thing. I think people might. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Even if you only have to commute once a day, if you're not coming in five days a week, if you're stuck on one of those northwest Indiana highways in a snowstorm, you may decide, well, I'm never doing this again. Yeah, that might be quite a trade-off. That'll be interesting. And then what about rentals? Have you seen any numbers changing around that? You know, I'm hearing that a lot of those uh, people we were, we talked about earlier in the spring who rented for a month in harbor country rather than three days, that they have extended farther on, like renting all the way into the fall. Because again, they didn't know at the time their kids were going to be doing remote school again this year, that sort of thing. You know, there was a very interesting family who didn't make it into the story because they didn't quite fit this angle, but they lived in Portage Park. They had bought a very inexpensive second home in Michigan City, right near the beach. Uh, And they were going back and forth. And then he loses his job. She continues working, but they're trying to figure out their finances. And, he, and they end up deciding, well, you know, our house in Michigan City is a lot cheaper to pay for on a monthly basis. So they rent out the house in Portage Park and they move full time, family of four, into a house in Michigan City that is half the size of their full time home. And this is making it possible, you know, to hang on to both properties while uh, he's on long-term furlough. So it's sort of everybody's got a financial strategy uh, to get through this crisis. And in some cases, it sort of involves my second home in Indiana or in Michigan. I feel like every time we talk, we say this, but yeah, we're just going to have to wait and see what stories uh, the numbers tell at the end of the year. But we will keep turning to you for the latest in the meantime. Thanks so much for chatting today, Dennis. Thanks, Amy. Coming up, wondering what a pandemic trick-or-treat looks like? So are the makers of Halloween candy. We'll talk more about that and other stories right after this. Chicago Comes Back provides resilient leadership insights to help your business move forward from the pandemic. Delivered on Thursdays, this free e-newsletter features up-to-date information and guidance for Chicago's businesses. Sign up at chicagobusiness.com slash Chicago Comes Back. This is the Crane's Daily Gist with Amy Goof. Trading mogul Ken Griffin has made another 10-figure donation to a group that's opposed to Governor J.B. Pritzker's proposed graduated income tax amendment. The group, Coalition to Stop the Tax Amendment, reported that Griffin, the founder and CEO of Citadel, donated almost $27 million on September 30th, and that's on top of the $20 million Griffin gave earlier in the month. So altogether, that makes one of the largest political expenditures in state history. And almost all of Griffin's donation is expected to go towards continuing 
Ring TV ads on the matter. In an email to Cranes, Quentin Folks, who runs the pro-amendment Vote for Fairness group, said, quote, Mr. Griffin's now spent more than he would have paid additionally last year under the fair tax in an attempt to defeat it, continuing by saying that he is, quote, growing increasingly desperate to ensure he can keep the special deal he gets under our current tax system that allows him to pay the same tax rate as our essential workers. And from Griffin, quote, every citizen has a right to the truth about what Governor Pritzker and Mike Madigan's tax increase would mean for our state. The continued exodus of families and businesses, loss of jobs and inevitably higher taxes on everyone. You can read more about this story and, of course, many others at ChicagoBusiness.com. And speaking of that topic, with less than a month to go until Election Day, the libertarian-leaning Illinois Policy Institute filed a lawsuit challenging Governor J.B. Pritzker's graduated income tax amendment, arguing it contains what they described as, quote, extremely biased language that deprives Illinoisans of a fair, informed vote on the progressive tax question. The suit filed in Cook County Chancery Court lists Secretary of State Jesse White, the Illinois State Board of Elections, and the Board of Elections members as defendants. The plaintiffs say they don't want to delay, suspend, or disrupt the election, nor do they want Secretary White to undertake a wholesale reprinting of every ballot. Instead, the organization is asking the Secretary of State's office to correct the, quote, constitutionally impermissible misleading statements on the booklet given to Illinois voters that summarizes arguments for and against the amendment. IPI says that a summary on Illinois ballots, quote, reads like a TV ad in favor of it and that the court should order White and and SBE to send a corrective notice. That notice with a different summary would be mailed to voters at home and distributed at all polling places. However, a Pritzker spokesperson blasted the suit, saying, quote, working families in Illinois are used to seeing lies from the billionaires and millionaires who don't want to pay their fair share. And this latest desperate doozy from the Illinois Policy Institute is just more of the same to protect their wealthy donors and make the middle class pay. You can find more about this story and many others at chicagobusiness.com. Edible Arrangements is suing Chicago-based marijuana company Green Thumb Industries over use of the word edibles. The Atlanta-based company, which sells fruit designed to look like flower arrangements, says that GTI's Incredibles brand of marijuana-infused chocolates, gummies, and other candies violates its trademark rights to the words edibles and incredible edible. The company also says the confusion comes from the pictures as much as the words, claiming in its suit that GTI's Incredibles logo closely resembles the edible. Edible Arrangements logo. Edible Arrangements says that any confusion hurts the company and its 1,200 franchisees. GTI said in a statement, quote, even those who've consumed a generous serving of our delicious Incredibles wouldn't confuse a pre-cut fruit bouquet delivery business with an Edibles cannabis brand. Going on to say, quote, Edible Arrangements lawsuit is a classic example of trademark overreach, adding Edible Arrangements trademark rights to the extent they exist at all have nothing to do with cannabis or CBD. However, Edible Arrangements says that it plans to move into a related business, selling edibles infused with CBD. In any case, Edible Arrangements filed suit last week in U.S. District Court in Chicago, and the lawsuit was first reported by trade publication Marijuana Business Daily.
For Chicago-based candy maker Mars Wrigley, Halloween season is the biggest season. And according to its U.S. president of sales, it's also its most complex with lots of things and flavors to figure out each year. The season reaches its peak in the last two weeks of October as people stock up on trick-or-treat candy and 55% of its sales for the season occur just in those last two weeks alone. But this year, the pandemic is kind of a different deal for everyone. Fewer people are expected to celebrate Halloween as usual, with many parents not super into the idea of sending their kids to collect candy from strangers' hands. So Chicago-area candy manufacturers did two things. Appeal directly to consumers to make sure they don't forget to buy Halloween candy, even if they aren't celebrating it as usual. And they've shifted manufacturing to adapt to unpredictable demand. And retailers are stocking their shelves this year a little bit differently, too, with smaller bags, say, size to feed a family instead of maybe the whole neighborhood. And retailers have been trying to also stock other seasonal stuff besides candy, like decorations and masks and things like that. So here are some numbers for you. According to the National Retail Federation, Americans spent $2.58 billion on Halloween candy last year. And this year, they're expected to spend $2.41 billion. Analysts who cover the big candy makers say that's not likely to break a company. For example, for Chicago-based candy corn maker Ferrara Candy, Halloween represents less than 10% of annual sales. So that's roughly the same deal at Hershey. People eat candy all year. And many of these worldwide companies simply serve markets that don't celebrate the holiday. But director of Insight for Food and Drink at Market Research for Mintel told Cranes there's a lot more to it than that, saying that people's shopping habits have changed during the pandemic and that the manufacturers will need to think beyond going straight to retail. And some are doing just that. Cranes reporter Ali Marathi has more. In an otherwise unprecedented pandemic, Easter became a lifeline for candy makers to learn from. Online candy purchases increased, people bought smaller bags of sweets, and individually wrapped candies became a must. Competition for shelf space has also increased since March, causing companies to lean into the most popular items for Halloween. At the same time, those candy makers have learned of the importance of going directly to consumers, and several have launched virtual trick-or-treat apps. And that's Crane's Daily Gist for now. Our continuous news feed lives at chicagobusiness.com. Thanks so much to our guest today, Crane's residential real estate reporter, Dennis Rodkin. Be sure to subscribe to these conversations on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your audio on demand. And find hashtag Crane's Daily Gist on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And let's continue talking there about these and other business stories. Our show is produced by Todd Manley at Earsight Studios. I'm Amy Guth. Thanks so much for listening and I'll meet you right back here next time.